psalmist says, O come, let us sing to the Lord, and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Good morning, church family. It's good to be together here at Windsor Road Christian Church again. And um, just delighted to spend this beautiful fall weekend with people that I love very much. And um, if you're feeling new here at the church, uh, my name is Randy, and uh, it's just a joy to be the lead minister here at the church. And if you are new, today is just a special day. We've got a day called Connection Day, Connection Point here at Windsor Road. And um, what that is is a, just a hospitality time, uh, especially for our newcomers through these glass doors and to the right. And we just want to take a few minutes and uh, we've got some refreshments and we've got some uh, just, a, a, just a, a very quick flyover in terms of the church ministry and our staff will be there. And I would just love it if, uh, if you could stick around and we would be happy to just have a little bit of interaction with you after our services. We want you to feel very, very welcome here uh, at Windsor Road. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Can we thank you enough for your mercies? Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for bringing us together in this room here again. And to think that all over the world, millions and millions and millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the world, from every tongue and tribe and nation and language, are gathering and uh, doing in just different size dynamics what we're doing now. We're glorifying you, making much of you, thanking you for all of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, Millions of us are going to be fed by your word. So we are hungry. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things written in your word. Thank you for the privilege that you've let me have to live with and worship with your people here. And as always, Lord, I pray, help me move aside and get out of the way so that what you want said gets said. Lord, comfort us and challenge us, but mostly, Lord, make us more like Jesus. He's why we're here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, the church said. Amen. Amen. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in London who preached at the Metropolitan Chapel, or excuse me, the Metropolitan Tabernacle for 38 years. And he died at 57, one of the most um, amazing preachers in Christian history. Spurgeon once said, the way you defend the Bible is the same way you defend a lion. Let it loose. And that's my goal today. That's my goal today. I I just want to unleash the Word of God and have us read it and hear it, experience it, and listen to what God is saying in His Word. So would you please take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13 this morning. We've been studying this letter, this letter to the Hebrews. It's actually a sermon manuscript. If you wanted to know what a sermon manuscript was like 2,000 years ago, you're looking at it here in Hebrews. And about 2,000 years ago, A house church, a little house church. That's how they gathered back then. And they met in quite likely the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. And it's a beleaguered church. They're going through suffering. They've already gone through suffering. There's more to come. And this preacher is pleading with this tired church, this fatigued church. This church in which some folks have lost their property for Jesus Christ. He's pleading with this beleaguered church, this church tempted to leave Jesus. He gives them more Jesus. And he's pleading with them to stay focused on Christ, stay focused on the Son of God, let nothing distract you from the Son of God. We need to hear that today. Well, how do you do that? Well, these verses are going to tell us. By hearing and heeding the Word of God. The way you stay fixed on the Son of God is to hear and heed the Word of God. That's what we're going to see here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Hear these words from the Word. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give literally a word. So the word of God in verse 12 summons a word from us in verse 13. More on that later. This is God's word. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Why a sword? Why a sword? Why, why, why not a lamp? The psalm says, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, fat, my path. Right? Why, why a sword? Why a rock? Why not a rock? Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Why not a rock? Why a sword? Why not water? I mean, John 4, 14, Jesus said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why? Why a sword? Not, 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 not a long sword, like in the days of King Arthur. It's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about a, 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 a makaira. A makaira. You know, a makaira. Say that on three. One, two, three. Makaira. Yeah, say it again a little louder. Help me here. One, two, three. Makaira. Makaira. That's it. Sword. Sword. A, sh- a short sword. A, a dagger, a dagger, huh? a big knife, a big knife, a, 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 the, for the word of God is sharper than any big double-bladed knife. That's what we're reading here. You know what? You came in here today, you see Bibles on shelves, and we have Bibles for anyone who wants a copy of the Bible Can you imagine, though, coming to church and watching our guest services team passing out big knives? Here, welcome to Windsor Road Christian Church. Take one. Have one for your child. (laughs) The Word of God is sharper than any big double-bladed knife. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That the Word of God is a perilous, possibly violent weapon? I mean, should we put, should we put warning labels on these Bibles? Huh? These verses challenge us uh, about our view of Scripture as a warm, cuddly, devotional reading for the soul, kind of a religious version of chicken soup for the soul. You know, we awaken to the crisp fall morning in our flannel and we put our lamb's wool slippers on and we pour that first cup of coffee and then we open our Bible and our journal and we take a picture to post on Facebook. My coffee, my Bible, my journal, all is well. According to these verses, we should not be wearing flannel. We should be wearing Kevlar, a helmet, a mouthpiece. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the preacher to the Hebrews alerts this congregation 
to the fact that exposure to God's word uh, can be a help. It can also be a hazard. It can encourage us. It can also judge us. Yeah. Take any contact with the word of God seriously. And these verses are in a section of Hebrews designed to eradicate our trivialization of God's Word. And there's two questions in these three verses. And the first question is in verse 11. And the second question is in verses 12 and 13. And the two questions are what I want us to consider today. What and why? What is God's Word asking of us, summoning us here? And then secondly, why? why? Why can it make that ask? What does God's Word want from us in these verses? And then secondly, why can God's Word make this kind of ask? What and why? That's where we're going this morning. Well, the, the what, as I said, is in verse 11. It's let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's the preacher talking about here? Well, in chapters 3 and 4, the preacher has been referring to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. See, the original audience uh, came from... a. a Jewish background. They were, they were ethnically Greek, but they were adherents to Judaism, and so the preacher's just speaking to their familiar cultural heritage and their ethnic heritage and the history of God's people. And so in Numbers chapter 14, the preacher uses a, a familiar historical event in order to get that church off the fence regarding their walk with Christ. In, in Numbers 14, Israel was about ready to enter the land of promise. Israel had witnessed God's rescue from Pharaoh. Israel had witnessed God leading them through the Red Sea, the miracle of the Red Sea. Israel had witnessed God feeding them manna, this bread from heaven supplying their lives in a barren wilderness. Israel had witnessed gushing water from a, an arid boulder in order to quench their thirst. Israel had witnessed God at Sinai. They had the law. They had the tabernacle. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They saw, they saw with their eyes God's pillar of fire by night and God's cloud covering over the tabernacle by day. God's presence was irrefutable. And when it came time to enter Canaan, they were at the threshold of destiny. Their destiny, their security, their peace. They were at the threshold of inheriting their homeland, a promised place from God captured in this phrase, entering my rest. Entering my rest. Oh my goodness. Life, peace, community, home. 
we're finally home. We're no longer slaves. We're free. We're free from and free for. And all of it's been brought by the God who has been extremely, obviously, blatantly visible on a daily basis. They were on the threshold of entering rest. And, 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 and it was from this homeland that the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would be not just for Israel, but for all of the nations. So Israel was part of God's plan, stemming all the way back from Abraham to be a blessing to the entire world. God had promised Abraham, through you I will bless all nations. My goodness, here it is. They're at the threshold of being a part of this, this global, worldwide destiny and and they were at the threshold and God said okay go I'm with you I'm with you and you know what happened next don't you they balked they balked we, 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 we can't do this we're, we're not we're not gonna make it I mean this is too hard we're, we're they're giants we're grasshoppers and our children our children they're doomed. We're doomed. We. Oh, and then they said, "Don't, don't." It's like, "Don't say it." Don't. They, then they said it. They said it. We never should have left. We never should have left. Let. And then they said this. Numbers fourteen four. Oh my goodness. Let us choose another leader. We're having a vote right now. Let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. You know what they were saying, don't you? You know, we don't want you, Moses. But, but, but Moses was chosen by God, right? So to reject Moses is to reject God. See? And, and as a result, God said, okay. You don't want to go into the land? You don't have to go into the land. But you're not going back to Egypt. Every one of you, 20 and older, will die in the wilderness. And your little ones, your little ones, the ones that you were afraid, they're going to bury you in the wilderness. And they'll go into the land of promise. That's it. For decades, your little ones whom you feared would be prey will enter Canaan. That's Numbers 14. And, 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 and you say, well, wow, pastor, that's harsh, right? Well, let me ask you this. How many times does God have to prove himself? Hmm? Think about that in your own life. How many times are you going to make God have to prove his resume? Huh. See, see we, we, we think, oh, if only God would show himself, then I'd believe. Friends, Numbers chapter 14 is historical evidence of a nation who had daily contact with the divine. And we see their response. Why do we think we'd be any different? See? Well... Of course, Israel's tune changed. Okay, 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 we'll go. Moses said, no, no, it's too late. Too, don't go. 
God's not going to be with you. you. You will fall by the sword. Numbers 14, 43. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. So, so, so they didn't go up when God said go up and then, then they went up when God said don't go up. And do you see the connection now between Numbers 14 and the sword in Hebrews 4? The sword of Numbers 14, the sword of Hebrews 4. So, when, friends, when God speaks, he means business. It, it was true then, it's true now. And, and the preacher's point is this. The preacher, now what's the preacher's point? It's not just an Old Testament story here. The preacher's point is that if rejecting Moses meant rejecting God, and Jesus is greater than Moses, then to reject Jesus is to reject God. Can you see yourself in Israel's story when you read the Bible? So do whatever it takes to avoid the debacle of Numbers chapter 14. That's what we're reading here in these verses. The, the gospel presents us with two truths that all of us must face as human beings. And it's this. It's this, and it's true of every one of us in this room. It's true of this pastor, that we are all moral failures, and we all need a Savior. Of all of the major world religions, only Christianity insists that we are radically morally corrupt people who are consequently alienated from a perfectly good God. And only Christianity insists that what we primarily need is not moral improvement, but rescue. And if these claims about the human condition turn out to be true, that's compelling evidence for the truth of Christianity, which is unique in its assessment of the human condition. And that's why in verse 11, the Hebrew preacher is passionate when the preacher says, let all of us strive to enter God's promise of rest in Christ. Let all of us strive so that no single one of us individually will fall. So, so here's the what. To rest in the Son of God, we must trust in the Word of God. To rest in the Son of God, we must trust in the Word of God. Uh, the preacher has already said this clearly in chapter 4 verse 3 for we who have believed enter that rest and I'm here to say with the Hebrew preacher that the promise of rest still stands it still stands rest in Christ rest in the new heavens and the new earth both future rest in the city of heaven where there's no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disease, no more death, and present rest with the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts and lives as down payment for the glory to come. That's rest, friends. Rest that brings contentment. Rest that brings peace. Rest grounded on hope in Christ. 
Rest is not found in figuring your life out, but in trusting the one who has it all figured out for his glory and our good. Amen? On the cross, God kept his promise. In the broken body of the God-man Jesus, our sins were totally blotted out. Jesus willingly took our sins on his body, and he suffered the sentence of death on our behalf. And then the Father, at his own initiative, issued a word of pardon over us by grace through faith in Christ. And the result is rest. Rest. But do we believe that? Do we believe the supreme judge? Do we believe his word of forgiveness through the blood of his son? Or do we keep on asking how much we owe him? John 3, 17 and 18 say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Man, would you just soak in that? promise whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God do you understand this are you are you feeling this church that God God's wrath is not because of what you did but because when he offers forgiveness in Christ you don't believe him Our worst sin is refusing to believe God's promise of forgiveness in Christ. That's the worst sin. And that's why the preacher says in Hebrews 4, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Faith is resting the weight of my life on the truth of God's word. Faith is resting the weight of my life on the truth of God's word. And and according to God's word, there's no one, there's no one who wants you, who wants us in heaven with him more than God. That's why he sent his son. And the God who spoke long ago by the prophets is the God who has spoken ultimately, in his Son. And he is the God who is still speaking by the Holy Spirit in his word. So we can trust his word. We should trust his word. We must trust his word. His word is all we have. That's the what. Now the why. Why, why, why can it say what it says with such gravity and passion and weight? And, and, and here's why. Because of what it is. The Word of God says what it says because of what the Word of God is. The Word that promises rest is at one and the same time a pulsing, penetrating, all-pervasive Word. For the Word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you notice something? Do you, see the, do you notice how many times the word and appears in verses 12 and 13? Here, I'll, I'll answer that for you. Nine. Nine times. It, it, it's almost like the preacher keeps thinking of something. Okay, I want to say this. It, it, the preacher's like me. Okay, I want, I want to make sure I say this this morning, and then I want to say this, and I want to say this, and this. and Oh, and there's another thing, and another. And his, the descriptions keep cascading into this tsunami of, of mysterious, wondrous, God-exalting truth. What the preacher is saying in verse 12 is that the Word of God, your Bible, is alive. The, the Word of God has a pulse. It pulsates with life. It is living and active. Active. That's that word energase. Energase. Our word energy. Energy. We don't, we don't make the Bible come alive. It is alive. And to be alive, what do we mean by that? It means that it is effective. Like medicine, when ingested, has an effect on your body, the Bible has an effect on our lives. And it is an all-pervasive effect. It is, a, it is an effect that reaches deep into soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And God's Word pulsates life in Christ. And this is not new. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read Jesus himself said, John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, John 6, 63. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The Apostle John says in John 20, 31, but these are written, written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And remember what Jesus said to the accuser, in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you have life in Christ today, it's because of the living word of God. That, that doesn't come any other way. Oh, Charles Spurgeon, here's another quote. This book, he says, this book has wrestled with me. This book has smitten me. This book has comforted me. This book has smiled on me. This book has frowned on me. This book has clasped my hand. This book has warmed my heart. This book weeps with me, sings with me, whispers to me, preaches at me. It maps my way. It holds me up. You, you, you may outgrow your pastor's sermons, and I hope you do, but you will never outgrow God's Word. We don't bring life to the Scripture. We draw life from the Scripture, you see. And, and just by way of application, 
So when I'm having a conversation with someone about Christ, when it's a spiritual conversation and they ask me about Christianity, I always try to get spiritual seekers to read the Bible. Um, you know, sometimes they'll raise questions over hard passages of the Bible, and, and I don't, I acknowledge that these are hard passages, and that these hard passages may be interesting to discuss, but then, I, you know, I say, look, before we proceed, I just need to really make sure we know what we're talking about here. So I, I, I just ask a simple question. Have you ever actually read the Bible? And, and, and many times people are relying on hearsay or a vague memory of a, a, some Sunday school class lesson long time ago or, or some, you know, televangelistic prosperity gospel preacher. Oh, come Lord Jesus. So I'll just say, look, 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 look. Let's read the Gospel of Matthew together. Let's read the Gospel of Matthew. So between now and next week, take a Bible, read the Gospel of Matthew, take, take a pad of paper and a pen, and every time you have a question about something, just, just go as far as you can in one week, and let's just read it together. And, and let's both try to be open. And I'll be open to the questions you pose, and, and, but you try to be open to whatever truth God's Word is trying to tell you. And you know what? If a person will agree to that in, kind of in good faith, that person has started an expedition that will change their life. I, I have witnessed that. I have witnessed the miracle of life change by exposure to God's Word. If you're in a small group, I think it's important for you to talk about the different topics that are facing your life at work and marriage and parenting or coping with stress. I really do. And make sure you pick up the Bible and read it. Read it. Strive to understand what the Bible says on its own terms. And if you want some devotional time with the Lord, yes, a devotional guide is good, but, but don't forget to read the Bible. Don't, don't read devotional material about the Bible without reading the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible when you go on a walk. When you go on a walk, listen to the Bible on your walk. To taste the goodness of the Word of God, Hebrews 6, 4. Taste the goodness of the Word of God. And, and you may say, well, where do I start? Well, why don't we start with Hebrews? Or, or pick a gospel, you know? And you know, on an hour's walk, you can listen to the entire book of Hebrews. Or while you're fixing breakfast, Put it on. Let, the, let your phone talk to you. huh? Listen to your Bible. Pick it up and read it. Get it in you. Get it in you. Let the Word of God be the lens through which you read the news, spend your money, schedule your time, do your job, run your family. And, and if you get to the point, and we all do, where we're reading a particular passage of Scripture that we don't understand, well, then just skip ahead until you find a part that you do understand. 
Really? But you're going to have to silence your phone or put it down, pick up your Bible, read it. And, and then, and then, may I ask you to pray this prayer that I prayed before we began here. It's the prayer of Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things written in your law. I'm about to step into another realm when I step into reading God's word. Oh, God, help me see everything. Help me see everything. Lord, open my eyes. The Bible, your Bible is alive. That's verse 12. And verse 13 wraps this up. See, see, Lord, open my eyes because in verse 13 we learn that the Lord's eyes are open. Huh. He doesn't miss a thing, does he? And no creature is hidden from his sight. The, the word that encourages is the word that evaluates. No creature is hidden from his sight. His sight. Do you see what just happened here? Do you see what just happened? The preacher moved from talking about the word of God to God. Do you see that? And you know why, don't you? Because God is what God's word says. That's why. And, and, and no creature. Well, who's that? Who's that? That's me. That's us. We're the creature. There's, there's the creator, and there's the creature. And all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. So, so now, you see, you see why close contact with the Bible is riskier than we may think? I mean, we're, 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 we're dealing with a potentially lethal weapon here. It needs to be handled with cautious self-awareness and and of course, in these verses, God is the one holding the knife. And we are naked and exposed. Naked and exposed. That's a phrase that can refer either to the bending back of the sacrificial victim's neck, ready for the fatal stroke of the knife, or with the submission hold of a wrestler who pins the opponent down by the throat, signaling defeat. In either case... When the creature stands face to face before the creator, there's no hiding. We cannot hide from God any more than Adam and Eve could hide in the Garden of Eden. And, 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 and think about that enough. Think about that here. God respects us enough to take notice of our lives and to assess our lives and to render an evaluation. And, and so he gives his word and his word summons a word from us and that's why in verse 13 it says to whom we must give a word God's logos in verse 12 summons our logos in verse 13 his pulsating word subpoenas our responsive word and there's no pleading the fifth before God and it's a time-sensitive summons today today Today, God's word makes an ordinary day today. Choose now. Choose now whom you will serve. To rest in the Son of God, we must trust in the word of God. And there was a generation of Israel that had their opportunity, and they, they squandered it. 
They did. And, and, and uh, the preacher loves this congregation in Rome, and the preacher does not want that congregation to squander the opportunity to believe the promises of our gracious and merciful God. We, we, and we, so we today, we are told not to squander the opportunity to respond to Christ in faith. These, these are time-sensitive, these are time-sensitive commands. We must respond to God's word with obedience, lest any single one of us fall to disobedience. Folks, eternal security is a group project. We need one another. We need one another. So, and don't let what happened to Israel happen to us. God's word is pulsating and penetrating and all pervasive. God has spoken. The ball's in your court. It's your move. So these verses are a warning. They sneak up on us, don't they? They're a warning against those of us who might veer off the highway. And so these are rumble strips. This is another set of rumble strips. And it's a frightening prospect when we really come face to face with the truth that God knows the real me, not the person I pretend to be. And these verses alert us against pretending to follow Jesus when our hearts really aren't there. And at the same time, at the same time, these verses are an invitation to genuine faith and discipleship. Because as any recovering alcoholic will tell you, the very first step to recovery is an honest admission of the problem. And likewise, we need to start by dealing with our real selves rather than the poor substitutes we parade ourselves to be. And being exposed and peeled of the outer layer is painful, but it allows us to present our true selves before God. And only the word of Christ can peel away those layers. Only the word of Christ. So when my boys were growing up, I used to read them the Chronicles of Narnia. And when we got to the voyage of the Dawn Treader, the voyage of the Dawn Treader, we met Eustace Clarence Scrub. Eustace Clarence Scrub, that whiny, arrogant, self-centered boy. He called his parents by their first name. Who does that? On their journey to the end of the world, Eustace who's with the Pavenzi kids, you know, Eustace stumbles into a dragon's lair. And, 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 and he falls asleep on this, 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 this dragon's hoard, treasures. Eustace awakens, having he's gone to sleep with greedy, dragonish thoughts, and then he awakens to discover that he's become a dragon himself. Remember that? He, and he's miserable. He's miserable. And, but then he meets the lion. The huge lion. Aslan, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. And Aslan approaches Eustace and says to Eustace, you must bathe in a deep well, but first you must undress. And so Eustace tries to undress himself to peel the dragon off himself but but he's every time he does he realizes there's still more dragon and then Aslan says you need to let me undress you and here's what Eustace said 
He bared his claw. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And then there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I'd ever been. And then Aslan caught me and picked me up and hurled me into the water. And it hurt like anything, but just for a moment. And after that, it was perfectly delicious. And I started swimming and splashing, and I found out that all the pain was gone. And then the lion took me out of the water, and he dressed me in clothing that he had chosen and made for me. I was rescued by the one who stripped me bare and set me free. I think that's about as beautiful a picture of becoming a Christian as I can think of. Before you can be redeemed by the Son of God, you must be revealed by the Word of God. And His Word exposes us for who we are. And His Word strips us of our pride so that we will humbly come to Christ and be clothed in His righteousness. And He outfits us with His robe of righteousness. And as we are born naked, we are reborn naked, totally exposed by the word of the one to whom we must give our responsive word. And let me tell you what that responsive word is, and then I'm going to sit down. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God.